In this valley of heart's delight, you will find life pleasurable, toil honorable, and recreation plentiful. Yes, George Michael is bed music. It was a time when anything was possible, at least in the imagination. This episode of the Valley of Hearts Delight is unofficially brought to you by Liquid Death. Ah, delicious mountain spring water. Liquid Death, murder your thirst. Yeah, and don't and Liquid Death for that free plug. Don't just send Caden free shit. Andy and I also yes. get free shit. I would really prefer that you mm. send me free shit that has alcohol on it rather than just some like super douchey water. Andy, is- Andy. <laughs> uh, Andy said that liquid death. I didn't say that. I'll take the free water. I think it's cool. <laughs> I mean, yes. it it is very refreshing water. Mm. Anyway. But it, but it kind of it's kind of like like the loser kid from high school like drawing a fake tattoo in his arm to try to look really cool, right? I just I mean, it's just water. But you, hey, hey, head banging takes a lot of energy. You're spraying a lot of sweat everywhere. You gotta rehydrate with some delicious, delicious, refreshing. Liquid death. Send a free case. What self-respecting headbanger hydrates with water? Hydrates with a can of water. Mm. Andy, it's 2019. Come on. We never said anything about self-respecting. Yeah, come on. Like people now know about hydration. Anyway, are we ready to start this shit? Yep. Let's take One, us in. One, two, three. Do remember how to do this? Welcome to Valley Hearts Delight. I am Tony. With me, as always, is Care Bear, Scorpion Snake. Did I fuck that up? No, no, no that, was that was perfect. Doctor or Doctor, Doctor Jones. Doctor Jones. Doctor Jones. Jones, man. He's, How many? We, his name is not Andy. Doctor Jones. It might be Andy, but it's <laughs> it's also Doctor Jones. That's true. Or it could just be Doctor Andy. PhD. PhD. <laughs> Anyways, I'm not gonna go into my PhD. <laughs> yeah, please don't do that again, Anthony. That was terrible. <laughs> that was one of the most. Of your that PhD. was man amongst all the cringeworthy moments that you uh, brought to the yeah, show. That was the best. That was funny. <laughs> that was <laughs> funny. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> it was the apex of douchebaggery. I was. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> you Sometimes you gotta take one for the team. You gotta try. It. You gotta put yourself I think, out was there. That, was I that? I forgot why I even heard that. Oh, you didn't even make that up. You stole. No, I, you I, stole your yeah, shitty joke I, from somewhere right. else. Of course, I lifted that. I don't wow, know. Carlos Mencia. Over it's here. like a Carlos Mencia joke. Might have been a Kanye West song. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And that man, it was certainly his original idea. Oh, I no, before we go into this, I love this podcast as much as Kanye West loves himself. Ooh, and that's a lot. That is also not something that I made up. It is not original. Anyway, Caden, take us in. What are we talking about? Uh, so. We are continuing the story of the kidnapping of Brooke Hart. Uh, Again, I will start off by recognizing our main and singular source for this episode, Swift Justice by Harry Farrell. It's a wonderful book with lots of details. And uh, realistically, I didn't put everything in there because otherwise this would have been super long. And then you would just read the fucking book yourself. This is a synopsis and we're making it interesting for you guys. But when we last left off, a Mr. Harold Thurmond had just been arrested by Sheriff Emig and FBI agent Federley, caught red handed, still on the phone with Alex Hart as Thurmond extorted him or attempted to extort him for ransom money. It'll happen. It will happen. So who was this mysterious figure? Well, let me tell you. Harold Thomas Thurmond was born in Lodi, California on June 20th, 1906 to Thomas J. and Lily Thurmond, the family moving to San Jose during Harold's elementary school years. Harold suffered a severe head injury in early childhood. He was good-natured, albeit a bit slow. (laughs) Do we know what the head injury was? It was an injury to his head. I think it was a hockey pu- hockey puck to the face without a helmet. Really? No, I have no oh, idea. That'd been awesome. I'm gonna say uh, falling out of a tree. Nah, getting kicked by a mule. Ooh, that's Ooh. a good one. Yeah, Ooh. that's what happens. Or, in Lodi. actually, quick quick story could have mm. been like this. 
my brother, when he was in uh, elementary school, grabbed a dirt clod mm. that he didn't think that there was a rock in. And I guess for whatever reason, saw a kid and he just throws the rock <gasps> oh, no. in the air. <laughs> And it's the kid dead in the fucking head. Apparently, blood goes everywhere. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and my mother, my brother ran, and then he got caught. And they asked Jesus. him, "Why did you throw Michael? the rock?" And yeah, my of course, mm. of course it was Michael. And it's like they asked him, "I right, guess what am I apparently, saying? I guess apparently it was hey, Michael. Why did you throw the rock?" Because like, I just wanted to see what happened. What happened? I didn't think I'd actually hit him. Yeah, he's a scientist. But it's so funny. Scientist in training. Yeah. Anyway, that's anyway. Michael so. ended up the same way Thurman did. <laughs> Good natured, but kind of slow. slow. No, well, Michael. No, Michael hit the kid with the other kid. The rock. So that yeah. kid's. No, I know what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we got man. it. Like we, we, it's <laughs> point remains the same. Although let's 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 pause for a moment and appreciate that Tony apparently at least can follow his own stories. Ah. Ah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Andy's well, it became increasingly clear. <laughs> it became increasingly clear that he was not destined for greatness, <laughs> as his siblings were either through their own achievements or marrying up in the world. Francis Wyatt, owner of a local automotive service station and one-time employer, employer of Harold, said of him, quote, I wouldn't classify him as retarded exactly, but he God just damn. was not very smart. <laughs> I, guess, I guess maybe he had about an eight-year-old mentality. He was very easy to lead. Oh, but you know what? What... Once again, we find a character in one of our stories that bears a shocking resemblance to our current political leader. <laughs> you, you mean <laughs> your old mentality? Old mentality. Easy to lead. I would. I wouldn't classify oh, him as retarded. retarded. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Obviously, that is not the, history, the correct term the for books. the intellectually disabled. <laughs> the sub. Uh, this submissive. We have found another proto Trump. No, 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 not not quite. Uh, this submissive nature combined with an underlying rebellious streak and a deep sense of greed, which was partially inspired by his rejection by a fiance who ultimately ended up breaking off their engagement because of his chronic poverty, created the perfect storm of personality to assist in the kidnapping of Brooke Hart. Within minutes of his arrest, Thurmond was escorted to the nearby St. Clair Hotel where the FBI had set up an outpost. From there, they could regroup and organize so as to keep this new development from getting unnecessary press. Sheriff Emig and Agent Vetterly called the Hart household to relay the news and confirm Thurmond was indeed the voice from the ransom phone calls. Bill Ramsey, who had been listening on the calls to Alex Hart, corroborated that this was indeed the same man's voice. He said, hot diggity dog, congratulations, <laughs> which is, was that a direct quote? That is a direct hot quote. No dog. shit. That is just how people got excited in the 1930s. <laughs> hot diggity dog. I found my suspenders. Mm-hmm. Well, Emig shepherded Thurmond through the back corridors and alleyways of the courthouse to avoid entering the jailhouse through the front entrance and the interrogation of Harold Thurmond began. He attempted to play dumb about the whole situation, Thurman saying, My God, Mr. Emig, I'm a good boy. I go to church every Sunday. <laughs> I like that. That was a good one. That was a good voice. Emig saying, Then why did you snatch Brooke? I didn't, I tell you. We're all religious people. My brother Roy, he's a preacher, and my sister is a church organist. Emig soon left Thurman in the hands of his deputies and the FBI agents and placed a call to police chief Black and local political boss Lewis O'Neill. With Brooke being a prominent local figure and the Hearts being involved in numerous communities, Emig knew the next steps would be critical. San Jose had not escaped the taint of the Depression, fear and frustration born of the nationwide economic crash and subsequent explosion of crime could easily ignite the vigilante mindset rooted deep in California's Wild West history. Yeehaw! Meanwhile, Vetterly instructed Harold Thurman to write as he dictated the first ransom letter to see if the handwriting matched. He pocketed the writing sample for comparison later. Vetterly then launched into his questioning. Hey, why did you kill Brooke Hart? While Vetterly had no evidence that Brooke was dead, he also had no indicators that he was alive either and wanted to get a read on where they stood. 
Harold adamantly denied any involvement. Hours passed with no progress, Thurman circling over the same points until an FBI agent revealed that they had been listening in on his calls to the hearts. All right, all right. I made the phone calls, but I didn't have anything to do with the kidnapping. What followed was an amalgamation of truth and lies, with Thurman ultimately claiming he had been in a movie theater where he overheard two men talking about the number two that had been placed in the window, (laughs) giving him the idea to pose as the kidnapper to exploit the situation, that he had pretended to be one of the men who had written the ransom notes. Well, ransom notes, Harold. Asked Vetterly. Apart from the San Francisco Examiner article that falsely claimed that there was a ransom note and was later rescinded, the papers had not reported any mention of letters sent from the kidnappers. Thurmond attempted to backtrack, but after ultimately failing to produce a reasonable alternative story, eventually admitted to each step of the kidnapping that the authorities presented to him. The notes sent from San Francisco and Sacramento, the calls from Dan Dwyer's bar in the Hotel Whitcomb, the numeral instructions, all of it. Betterly, seeking to validate his suspicions, appealed to Thurmond once more. Harold, you told us you were a good boy, right? You come from a good Christian family. I believe that. Thurmond's face lit up at this validation. It's true, Mr. Betterly. And your mother taught you to fear God, didn't she? Indeed, Thurman's overbearing battle axe of a mother was viciously Baptist. Yes. Well, Harold, how do you think God feels about you making poor hot families suffer? Thurman began to tremble and weep. Those people who've been suffering for a week, Harold, because their boy is gone. God wants you to show mercy. You know what I'm saying? Now, <laughs> and <laughs> now I put a stop to that. Tell me, can you swear before the Almighty God that you didn't kill Brookgard? Hey. A few seconds' pause was broken by uncontrollable sobbing. <laughs> Brookhart is dead. Thurman went on to tell Vetterly that they had thrown Brook off the San Mateo Bridge. <laughs> when asked who else was in on the plan, Thurman hesitated. He said his accomplice was in Los Angeles, but Vetterly pressed him further. You're an idiot, Harold. To protect anybody who was in this thing with you, he wouldn't protect you. You can bet your last buck on that, (laughs) buckaroo. (laughs) Hot diggity dog. The last two are not quotes, but the rest of it is a quote. Thurmond revealed his co-captor's identity as Jack Holmes, who was not actually in Los Angeles, but rather... Still in San Jose. The capital of the Silicon Valley. Yes, indeed. John Maurice Holmes, who went by Jack, was the son of a Danish father and Swedish mother and was born in Los Angeles on March 20th, 1904. A bit of a class clown, he was well-liked, charming, handsome, and athletic, hmm. playing on so, the San so Jose High football team until Good he was man. expelled. <laughs> I was talking about myself. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't. I was an athletic. <laughs> I wasn't you technically play sports. It's, it's, it's funny because it's funny. <laughs> I was well liked. I was charming and I'm handsome. Was charming. <laughs> was handsome. Was handsome. I'm getting. I'm getting up there. Anyway, sorry. Where were we? A bit of a class clown. He was well liked, charming, handsome, ha- handsome, and athletic. Playing on the San Jose High football team until he was expelled in the early 1920s after an incident involving him drawing a teacher's face on the body of a donkey. <laughs> oh, <what? laughs> oh, that's classic. That is that's classic. classic. That's classic. Also, I think it's High funny chance. that like that San Jose High had like a, just a donkey around. Yeah. yeah of no, course. no, no. Like he drew that. he drew a picture of his teacher. With like the body of a donkey. Oh, I thought I thought maybe he actually drew, drew his teacher's face on a donkey's donk ass. Oh god, like, I, I wish. Yeah. I, I was like picture like they had like a donkey he drew on the donkey. No, the 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 fight the San Jose High fighting asses, fighting jackasses. <laughs> yeah, they're actually I think the bulldogs. They are the bulldogs. I the only reason I know that is because I drive by it every day. That's a fun fact for all you listeners out there. Put that in your pocket. Putting it in my pocket. Uh, wait, 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 hold on. What's the fun fact? 
that their mascot is a bulldog or that you drive past the school every day. <laughs> I'm going to let them decide. Because neither of those are very fun. I'm going to let them, I'm going to let the audience decide which one's the fun fact. <laughs> but yeah, so basically he was caught passing, he was caught, got caught passing a note where he had drawn his teacher's oh, okay. teacher with the body oh, of Oh man, I want to see that. That's, I want to see that. Note. That's fucking hilarious. It that teacher's it. an asshole. No pun intended. Hey, hey, exactly. Hey. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm on it today, boys. After a stint in the Marines cut short by a torn ligament, Jack became interested in radio, which at the time was a wild new frontier. He got a job at a local radio shop, and not too much later, he was introduced to Evelyn Fleming whom he married in 1924, moving into Evelyn's mother's house on Bird Avenue. After a series of jobs, Jack eventually settled into a salesman position with the Standard Oil Company. Jack Holmes was, by all accounts, a loving father, dedicated husband, hard worker, pillar of his community, member of the Masonic Golden Rule Lodge 479. Yet, there were those who truly knew Jack that understood, as Harry Farrell put it, quote, his engaging personality camouflaged a mean temper with a streak of ruthless rebellion. That's the Jack. That's Jack. But it sounds a lot like Harold. Oh, no, I was saying I was like Jack, Jack Daniels. Oh, yes. In the bottle. That is the Jack that Jack imbibed. Yes. Deciding to resume his interrupted education, he enrolled uh, at an industrial arts course at San Jose State University for which he had to take a series of entrance exams, including an IQ test, oh, whoa. on which he scored very well, and an A and S test, which stood for Ascendancy and Submissiveness. I would like to interject. They used to make people take IQ tests to get into colleges? Apparently. Andy? Well, why wouldn't they not? I don't know. I wish they still did. <laughs> <laughs> make your job a lot easier. He scored. A I wish they actually made people take IQ tests before they could get jobs at colleges. <laughs> oh, that would make my job a lot easier. Shot, shots fired. Damn. So Jack scored a plus thirteen on the ascendancy side of the scale, putting him in the upper twentieth percent of his class. Can we also interject how I'm just Andy is thinking so deeply now about what we just are talking yeah. about? Yes, he's just, just stroking, life he's stroking life. his beard, just <laughs> being like, like oh, the assholes that I wouldn't have to deal with. All the <laughs> mouth-breathing morons that I would be free and clear of. He completed two terms before dropping out. Wait, hold on. Hold yes. on. I, I, I need to back up because mm -hmm. before that beep, kind of brain-shattering moment there, uh, I also want to point out that they also – didn't just have to take an IQ test. They had to act, apparently take an ascendancy and submission of submissiveness test, right? Yes. What the fuck is that? Yeah, what is uh, submissiveness? I kind of I can kind of get what that means, but ascendancy? Well, is it kind of like a plus minus thing? Like if you're above a line, like you are I mean, determined to be ascendant, and if you're below a line, it's, you're it's, determined I mean, it's to be kind like of like a it's kind of like a personality test. You know how people have do like the ENFP INTJ kind of thing. God damn! It's so it's acronyms it, over here. What you don't know about that? No man. Oh, so it's it's basically we don't a, do that shit in rural Pennsylvania. It's basically a person. <laughs> it's a personality test to be like, how outgoing are you? How intro? Uh, in, in terms of today, it would be it's, how outgoing are you? How uh, what's the fucking word that I, introverted are you? Um, so it's a, ascendancy would be like outgoing, submissive would be like mm. introverted. So it's just kind of getting a sense of like, I don't know if this is how they used it. But for example, if you had somebody who is like high ascendancy, they're probably going to be raising their hand more. They're going to be participating more in class. They're going to be a little bit more outgoing. If you have a more submissive person, they might need a little bit more prodding to engage with the class. You know, again, so it's like if they have a high IQ, but they're extremely submissive, you know that they're not saying anything in class. It's not because they're dumb. It's just because they don't want to talk in class. Right. I right. imagine that's what it is. Uh, Harry Farrell doesn't necessarily go too, too deep into that. But basically, he scored a plus 13 on the ascendancy side of the scale. So he's in the top 20th percentile of his class, which means he's very outgoing. Um, you know, he's very loud. He has a big personality, one might say. Uh, so he completed two terms at San Jose State before dropping out, 
but not before making an impression on his classmates for having an obsession over, quote, the perfect crime. He would study newspapers seeking out stories involving crimes so that he might analyze them to determine what the perpetrators had done well and what they had done wrong. <laughs> Accordingly, Holmes could often be found chatting with San Jose police officers downtown as he made his way to and from classes or out on his standard oil routes. Eventually, he moved to the Union Oil Company, continuing to utilize his natural salesmanship, going to service stations and garages, easily making conversation with the proprietors there as he had a long-time affinity with automobiles. Uh, around late 1932 or early 1933, Holmes stopped at Francis Wyatt's service station located at the corner of San Carlos Street and Delmas Avenue and uh -huh. introduced himself to the new attendant. This man was Harold Thurmond. Delmas Market. That's on the corner of Delmas and San Carlos. Is it? Yeah. I don't think I've ever been there. I was trying to imagine. I was like, I don't know if I've ever crossed that intersection. When I worked at Powerplay, we used to go there all the time. Hmm. It's like a little fun little tour in, of San Jose, but in then and now. Oh wait, no, I definitely have. Oh, oh, it's like a, it, shitty, where, uh, it's a shitty little El Gruyense. Yeah, yeah, yes. that's right. Yep. Yes, yes. Uh, what neither of them knew at that moment was that Thurmond would prove to be the perfect, complacent, submissive contrast to Jack Holmes's dominating, ambitious personality. There you go. While Thurmond likely saw Holmes as a it. made man with a good job, loving family, respected around town, he was not aware that turmoil was bubbling just under the surface of Holmes's life. He His must have eaten an El Garense. Yeah. That's, that's some <laughs> turmoil. That's some turmoil bubbling <laughs> under the surface. His work bored him. And his marriage had cooled when Gertrude Marsh, now Gertrude Estenson, Holmes's high school sweetheart, had unexpectedly re-entered his life oh, by happenstance. Oh, of course. It was mm -hmm. happens. Of course. Yes. Because Jack stopped by Gertrude husband's, Gertrude's husband's, Leonard, fuck, I don't know how to say this. Jack Estens stopped by Leonard Estenson which was Gertrude husband, Gertrude's husband's service station. Fuck. Whatever. Y'all get what I mean. The service station was called Leonard Estenson's. Yes. The service station was owned by Leonard Estenson, who was Gertrude Marsh, now Gertrude Estenson's husband. Gertrude Marsh, now Estenson being Jack Holmes's high school sweetheart. <laughs> Christ. God. You just like, you just who like, wrote this? You just like made the, the sim most simple thing. The most, so like, much more complicated. I, was like, I, I prefer to call him Mr. Gertrude Estenson. Mr. Estenson, can you service my station, please? Gross. Jack started visiting Gertrude in the hospital after she fell ill, with his wife's permission, of course. And soon, the two couples were spending numerous evenings together. Four peas in a pod. However, orgies. Yeah. However, oh, wait, wait, soon enough, Jack started to spend time with Gertrude during the day when uh, he was on his ooh. sales routes. And within a month, he was pleading with her to leave Leonard and run away with him. Despite her rejection, Jack decided that he required more money than he was making as a salesman to win her heart. Oh, that's what it is. As we all know, if you get rejected by a woman, it's just because you don't, you make, don't money. make enough money. Not, be well, not you know, because actually, like, according dude, to... Uh, Evolutionary theory. Oh, here we go. Dr. Dr. Andy's about to hit the floor right now. Spitting some knowledge. Put on his pit. Now, I'm not going to talk about this. This is offensive. I, go ahead. Keep going, please. Thurmond, who likewise. That. Wait, hold on, strike. hold on. Is it, is it science or is it offensive? Sauce in, sauce out. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it offensive or is it science? It's both. Okay. It's offensive science. That's what makes it, that's what makes it fun. Good times. <laughs> Uh, Thurmond, <laughs> Thurmond, who likewise had been rejected by a sweetheart based on his financial prospects, became fast friends with Holmes, and the two began a scheming. Jack Holmes, who was mentioned previously, who, as mentioned previously, was notorious for poring over newspapers and looking at crime stories, had noticed numerous high-profile kidnapping cases that had paid off handsomely, ranging from. $30,000 to $200,000 ransom money, which was, in today's money, 
around 600,000 to 4 million. Damn. Yes. I'd kidnap somebody for that. Right? I have kidnapped somebody for that. On September 19th of 1933, Holmes read the headline in the Mercury Herald announcing Brooke Hart's promotion to vice president of his father's company. He was inspired. He knew he could do it. All he needed was a partner who would follow his instructions without question, as Harold or as Farrell puts it, quote, he would need a partner who would follow orders blindly. Someone with a ruthless streak, but not overly sensitive to the difference between right and wrong, but nonetheless reliable. Immediately, he thought of Thurmond, who seemed cookie-cutter made for such a role. And after broaching this prospect to Thurmond, who, of course, happily agreed, <laughs> they got down to planning. So, hey, Jack. Look at the pudding I made out of my butthole. It's free food. Isn't it great? That's great. That's great, buddy. Now we got to get to work. Huh? <laughs> Anthony, what the fuck? <laughs> He's on a little scatological uh, Jesus. focus this what? evening. <laughs> his picture. He was standing there. He's picking his asshole. And he was like, hey, look at this. A Hershey, Hershey chocolate. And he's like, "That that's the guy. Yep. Yeah, he Jay saw he saw him like the. Uh, <laughs> it all got a little hazy, and he just went like, "Keep going, Anthony. Keep That's it going. The one. Come on." Uh, so on September twenty fifth, they followed M. J. Michelle, a clerk for Union Oil Company, whom Holmes knew would be leaving for the bank on a Monday evening with the company's deposits and receipts. Like clockwork, Michael Michelle. Left the company. <laughs> Michael know. Michelle? His, it's easy his to last name, it's easy His to last name is M-I-C-H-E-L, which could be Michael or Michelle. I assume it's Michelle. Mikel? Mikel. Michelle. Michelle. Michel. 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 So like clockwork, Michel, Michel left the company parking lot about three blocks away. As Michel so was slowing for a turn, Thurman deftly slipped into his car and held the clerk at gunpoint, giving him circuitous directions that eventually led him to the rural outskirts of town. Once far away enough, Thurmond had Michel pull over, had him take off his shoes, and tied him to a tree. Thurmond drove off to a <laughs> rendezvous. <laughs> Damn. Wait, he just made him take off his shoes? Yeah. He hey. took his shoes and like tied him to a tree and was just like, all right. So Thurmond drove off to rendezvous with Holmes, where they oh. counted out their haul of Seven hundred and sixteen dollars, wow. which was fourteen thousand dollars in today money. Not bad. How he was? How easy was that? Holmes began talking more about kidnapping Brookhart, planting seeds that eventually took root in the mind of Thurman and began to grow and blossom into firm plans. While Holmes had been the architect and mastermind, Thurmond was now the main advocate and defender of the plan to kidnap Brookhart. So. In the subsequent weeks, a pair, the pair, of Holmes and Thurmond obtained a 41 caliber pistol from a friend's garage, practiced with another heist of a clerk from Holmes's previous employer, the Shell Oil Company, talked to a friend about buying a boat, and purchased three 22-pound concrete building blocks for a dime apiece. Oh, no. That's a deal. All right. That's what a deal. You, you can't get that anymore. For? That's a deal. Hey. What do you need the building blocks for? Hey, to put on your car on. Yeah. When your gas, yeah, you when you your car gets too much gas efficiency, you just <laughs> pop a couple cinder blocks in there to yeah. slow it down. Unfortunately, between all this preparation and practice hijacking, Holmes soon lost his job. However, this gave Holmes and Thurman more time to shadow Brooke Hart learning his schedule and patterns. He's a glass house full kind of guy. Yeah. He's like, you know hey. what? I lost my job. That gives me time to stalk this more guy. More time to scheme and stalk. More time to, I'm, you know, I'm living my dream. Yeah. I'm living my hey, full life. come yeah. on. And one wonders why he lost his job. Is it possibly because he practiced by hijacking one of his own company's couriers? Nah. Nah, I don't know. Con. Isn't that, that what you said? That they practiced the second time around by kidnapping. I, well, they, the second time they uh, they practiced voice. on his previous employer. Oh, previous employer. But ultimately, he did not get fired. He just got fired because they were just like, "Dude, where the fuck are you?" And he just, no, was, just he wasn't he wasn't people. doing his route. He wasn't going to work essentially. So they just fired him. Hmm. 
That'll happen. It'll happen. Clearly, if you, you don't show up to work, you job. will get fired. He's in that, yeah. Seriously. On Wednesday, November 8th, they sat in wait, ready to ambush Brookhart as he left the department store. Suddenly, his father appeared beside him, and they walked to the car together. <laughs> Agreeing to meet again the next day, Thurman and Holmes went their separate ways. And in that time, Thurman retrieved a large pillowcase from his nephew's bed and bought 75 feet of clothesline. Meanwhile, Holmes was making plans for a double date to play bridge with Gertrude and her husband. The evening of Thursday, November 9th, went similar to the previous day, but this time they watched as Brooke left the heart store by himself, and as he walked to his car, Holmes positioned himself by the driveway out of the parking lot, calmly smoking a cigarette, a faceless figure killing time on the street. As Brooke paused for a break in traffic to turn onto Market Street, Holmes quickly and silently slipped into Brooke's car, pressing his recently purchased pistol into Hart's ribs. From there, Holmes had Brooke drive to the predetermined location on Evans Road, where they later found Brooke's car, Thurmond following them in Holmes's Chevrolet. They transferred Brooke into Holmes's car and drove approximately half a mile onto the San Mateo Bridge. There, they ordered Brooke, who, had ne- who now had a pillowcase tied over his head, out of the car, and Holmes hit him over the head with a brick. Ow. And Brooke called out for help. With the second blow, Brooke was knocked unconscious. So Thurman then tied Brooke up with the clothesline and attached the concrete blocks. That's what I thought was going to happen. Uh-oh. Holmes taking Uh-oh. the upper part no. of Brooke's body and Thurman the legs. The pair tossed him over the side of the bridge. Ooh. So Thurman had now told police everything that had precipitated henceforth. Henceforth. The ransom calls. The letter. Thurman tossing Brooke's wallet into the San Francisco Bay, which he was supposed to take a ferry into the middle of the San Francisco Bay and toss it into the middle of the San Francisco Bay, but he missed the ferry, so he just threw it from the pier. And that's why, <laughs> it, showed, boy. And that's why it showed up <laughs> on the deck of that oil tanker later. <laughs> oh, man, but, please tell me it was a Union oil tanker. No, be I, I, I don't be think funny. so. That'd be funny. Um, so he tells police everything. Thurman had also informed police that Holmes had recently broken up with his wife and was staying in a room at the California Hotel. As authorities drove Thurman to Holmes's location, just a short drive away, he pointed out Jack's black Chevrolet parked in the plaza garage where Thurman had been arrested. Man, this guy folded like a deck of cards. Yes, like he did. That did not take... Spilling it. That did not yes. take long at all. Hmm. If he was a can of beans, he would be tipped over and the beans... Would, would have be been spilled. spilled. Well mm. done. I like that. I'm getting hungry. It was now. <laughs> I have some canned beans <laughs> Wait, if you want. Anthony, what made you hungry? The beans or your incessant talk of shit? Both. <laughs> Both. It was now 3.30 a.m. and shit, contingent. you get hungry again. <laughs> Gross. It was now 3.30 a.m. Fucking verbal diarrhea over here. Hey, hey look at this hey. guy with the funny, funny punnies. Hey. He's so punny. It was now 3.30 a.m. And a contingent of FBI, San Jose police, and sheriffs descended upon room 91 of the California hotel. They had Thurman knock on the door and identify himself when Jack asked who it was. And as soon as Holmes opened the door, authorities stormed in, placing him under arrest. Jack shouted at them, directly addressing Sheriff Bill Emig, who was a fellow Mason at the same lodge as Holmes for seven years. Man, a Mason don't do Mason dirty. It was later revealed that Emig had learned Holmes was the owner of one of the cars spotted at the White Oaks Road Orchard over two days prior, but had not investigated, perhaps out of allegiance to his Masonic brethren or disbelief that a fellow Mason would be capable of being involved Mm. in Brooke Hart's disappearance. Now in custody, Jack Holmes was read Thurman's signed and notarized confession, and when asked to comply with his own retelling of events, he replied, If you've got that, there's no use talking. I didn't know Harold would be such a snitch. Oh, you didn't know that big, <laughs> fat, Snitches. fucking dummy was going to be the snitch? No. Nah. Hey, hey, Thurman, you want a candy bar and, we'll, and tell us everything? Okay. Yeah, pretty much. This tastes better than yeah. that. 
they were like they were like you're you're a good boy right you're a good boy right thurmond and he was like i am a good boy yeah i'm a good boy i make good tootsie rolls (laughs) back at it back at it Although the morning papers bore no news of Holmes and Thurman's arrests, Sheriff Emig was already feeling a tension in the air around San Jose. Word had been spreading through the grapevine, and reporters and citizens were beginning to gather. Wanting to ensure the pair survived long enough to see trial, he planned to get them out of San Jose fast, quick, and in a hurry. So, Sheriff Emig called George Skimp Letcher, who owned a garage across the street, and down a block from the courthouse where Brookhart's murderers were being held and asked him and his mechanic to come over in a car. Once inside, they swapped clothing. I, 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 was giving, I, I don't was know making... if anybody can hear this moron trying to hum, heard it through the grapevine, but God damn, if you could... I'm, hum... adding, I'm adding pen music. God, it like, sounds no, like no. somebody having a seizure, man. No, no, I was adding pen music. I was adding tension to the scene, man. What is bed music? Bed music's... Like when you're like when you know you're like listening to radio and they have like the music underneath when they're talking. Oh, that's called bed music. Oh, I that... thought bed music was like. Yes, that's bed George music. Michael is bed music. <laughs> I, you 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 actually recognize that from what he was just doing? Yeah, sexy sex man, of course. <laughs> Anthony, hold on. We gotta we gotta bring this to the fourth. Bed music. Hey man. <laughs> Hey man, yes. Give us, give us a little uh, grapevine. <laughs> I think the, I think the audience appreciates. I, I, I guarantee they appreciate that. Okay, where were we? Skimp. Yes. So wanting to ensure that the pair survived long enough to see trial, Emig planned to get them out of San Jose fast, quick, and in a hurry. Sheriff Emig called George Skimp Letcher, who owned a garage across the street and down a block from the courthouse where Brooke Hart's murderers were being held and asked him if his... Just say it. Just say it. Just say it. I see you can't keep it in. Just say it. It's dumb. <laughs> of course it is. Say, uh, it's, say, say it again. Fast and what in a hurry? Fast, quick, and in a hurry. He thinks he's. I've just. I'm, on, I've had a long day. <laughs> I had a long day too. Say it. Is I, that I, it? I, no, that's it. Yeah, it's nothing. It was a dumb sex joke. Fast, quick, and about, in a hurry. about your stamina. Yeah, man. Or somebody's stamina. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was just in my brain. I thought, and he was laughing and made me laugh. <laughs> I thought it was funnier than it was. Jesus. <laughs> no, man, that was funny. Jesus <laughs> Christ. All right, where were we? Sheriff Emig called George Skimp Letcher, who owned a garage across the street and down a block from the courthouse where Brooke Hart's murderers were being held, and asked him and his mechanic to come over in a car. Once inside, they swapped clothing with Thurman and Holmes and were roughly escorted out the back alley towards the jail where they were accosted by the crowd, the flashbulbs of photographers' cameras firing and popping like a lightning storm. Thurmond, now garbed in mechanic's coveralls, was ushered out the front door by Emig and Vetterly to a car Letcher had brought over for them. The crowd, now spying this development, rushed over, and just as they did so, an under-sheriff rolled up to the back alleyway in Holmes's car, where two FBI agents flung Holmes in and drove away. That was pretty clever. Pretty clever. Emig Emig is a sharp guy. The two cars drove north to the San Mateo Bridge, where they stopped to have Thurman give them a general idea. I thought you were going to say they threw the dudes off the bridge. (laughs) And that (laughs) is amazing. And that's the end of the story. (laughs) I wish. Uh, Where they stopped to have Thurman give them a general idea of where the body was dropped. Meanwhile, at the southern end of the San Francisco Bay in Alviso, a boat was being prepared to begin searching for the body of Brooke Hart. The next stop was the Potrero Police Station at the southern end uh, of San Francisco, where Thurmond and Holmes were put in two distant cells to prevent any communication between the two. 
Emig appealed to his Masonic brother to confess, confess. And at 1 p.m., that's just what Jack Holmes did. He detailed his version of the tale, which, despite some differences in details, corroborated Thurman's story. And at the end of his confession, Holmes broke down in tears, his head in his hands. This quickly gave way to Jack's trademark temperament, grinning for the swarms of cameras as he left the interrogation room, whistling, laughing, and singing as he sat in his jail cell. Before long, FBI agents were in the Hart home telling the family the news that their son and brother was dead. Likewise, news was coming to the Thurmond and Holmes households that Harold and Jack had been arrested for the kidnapping and murder of Brooke Hart. Maurice Holmes, Jack's father, visited the Santa Clara County Jail five times in one day seeking visitation with his son. When is this Holmes? What is this crowd gathering for? He asked. What do they intend to do? Because he's Danish. Yeah, oh, am, yeah, that's right. I'm high. Hulda Holmes <laughs> defended her son's innocence to a San Francisco examiner reporter. Boys that are going to get into trouble are in trouble from the time they are little. Our boy never got into difficulties of any sort in his whole life. He had no bad companions. We guarded him carefully. Reporters mobbed Jack's wife's home. The Thurmans also vehemently stood by their son's purity and virtue. We can't think that he did it, said Lily Thurmond. We raised him as a Christian boy. He always went to church. We're Christian people. Just it's insane. And Christians <clears throat> don't ever do anything. Yeah, they have no nope. ne- Christians. Bad. I don't think Christians have ever done anything wrong. No man. Ever. I'll tell you what. Moses got handed down the Ten Commandments. That was it. Not a one of them has ever been broken by anybody of the Abrahamic tradition. No, not at all. I was gonna say this is kind of it's funny how just now different San Jose and this whole area is like. This one guy, these two dummies, kidnap a dude and murder him for ransom money. And, like, everyone's like, let's fucking kill him. Now it's like that would probably be, like, San Jose cops and, like, least worries. Maybe not their least worry. It'd probably be on the top. But I don't think people would be storming the jailhouse to hang him. Yeah, but it's interesting, too, to think <laughs> you know about. what I mean? Like, like, we'd all be like, eh. Well, this is yeah, also. It happens. With, with San Jose is, like, a million plus people now. Like, in yeah. 19. What That's year what was saying. this again? It's crazy. 20. 1933. <clears throat> 1932, right? Yeah. 33. 33. What was the size of, of San Jose at that point? Oh, yeah, you know, it, it was a fraction of the size it is now. Mm-hmm. As all the as the, all the old people like to say, nothing but orchards. <laughs> well, despite the family's ardent denial of their loved ones' actions, public opinion was decidedly against them. G. Logan Payne, a local newspaper publisher, ran an editorial titled "Human Devils," calling for mob violence and the lynching of the two men in custody. There you go, Anthony. <laughs> hey, hey. It, it was it was helped along. It wasn't just civic spirit. Yeah, it was yeah. helped oh, along. Okay, by... okay. <laughs> Yes, it was media personalities being like, hey, you should do this. Hey, you know, almost like if you had a, you know, at some sort of event hosted at somebody's, you know, some some location that somebody owns by people supporting that person. And then you have a video where you have that person shooting a bunch of their enemies you people might think that you're inciting people to violence but obviously mm. this you know yes. luckily this is 1933 we don't have to deal with that these days it's fine you know what i would say though i hope or this is what i was thinking i hope that the the tagline to human devils was called come hang around <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah we'll get there uh. meanwhile Authorities were discussing the jurisdiction for trying Holmes and Thurmond. While Brooke had been kidnapped in San Jose, he had been allegedly murdered somewhere on the San Mateo Bridge, which would fall in either San Mateo or Alameda counties. Dang it. Hanging with the devil. Hanging with the devil. Ah. Hanging with the devils. San Jose District <laughs> Attorney Fred Thomas, however, was determined to have the dastardly duo tried in San Jose. He knew his fellow San Hosians were hungry for righteous vengeance on the men. As we are. As we are. We are always hungry for I'm, righteous vengeance. I'm always like, that's I. That's why when I 
I'm in the car and somebody cuts me off, I curse and scream and I punch my steering wheel. Yeah. Because I want that righteous mm. vengeance. <laughs> Not latent issues that you don't <laughs> deal with that manifest as uncontrollable rage. Care Bear. Righteous vengeance. As mentioned in the previous episode, 1932 saw the passage of the Lindbergh Act, making kidnapping cases federal felonies. California had passed its own legislation in 1933 with a Little Lindbergh Act that gave juries two choices for punishment in such situations. Life in prison without the possibility of parole or death. (laughs) Additionally, the law did not require the corpus delecti, literally body of the The crime. body. Essentially, proof of a body that is typically required for a murder conviction. The Little Lindbergh Act had been passed on October 25th, 15 days prior to Brockhart's murder. Good we're almost, timing. Good man, we're coming timing. up. We're almost at its anniversary. We should what? do something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this episode, too, will come out like right about early November, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the wheels of justice ground away as police and FBI investigated the confessions of Holmes and Thurmond and authorities searched for Brooke Hart's body. As the men were transferred from an FBI office back to their jail cells in San Francisco and after an interrogation session, the crowd that had gathered shouted, Lynch him! Lynch him! Apparently, reporters of the incident made their way back, reports of the incident made their way back to FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover, who wrote, the San Francisco FBI office, quote, please call Vetterly at once and tell him to stop taking these two criminals out of jail. If they should be lynched while in our custody, it would be terrible. Now, where's my bra? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he did enjoy the ladies' lingeries. <laughs> oh, Jed. The best of us do. Continued dragging of the San Francisco Bay <laughs> under and around the San Mateo Bridge. <laughs> yeah, I hope everyone caught that. <laughs> Continued dragging of the San Francisco Bay under and around the San Mateo Bridge brought only frustration for investigators. Eight days after the murder, there was still no sign of Brooke, save a handful of evidence. Scraps of cloth that realistically could be from anything. An unrelated pillowcase found to belong to Jackie Coogan. Jackie Coogan? who you might know as the child actor who played the child in the 1921 Charlie Chaplin film, The Hello. Kid. Whoa. Oh, that's, oh, actually, that's kind of cool. The Coog. Yes. Whoa, and he was buddies with Brooke Hart. <laughs> wow. Totally unrelated. That's, that's fucking weird. Very that's weird. Very, how did they know it was his pillowcase? They, like, tracked it back to him. It was just, like... Back, this is back in the day when people would like embroider their name on their pillowcase. Did it just say the Coog? The Coog. The Coog. <laughs> Jay Coogs. <laughs> Jay Coogs. Hey, Jack. Hey, name's Jack and Coog, and my friends call me the Coog. <laughs> they also found four Shell Oil Company receipt books stained with blood belonging to Holmes, Brooks' hat, lung tissue Ew. that ended up being from a nearby slaughterhouse's runoff. Oh my oh, god. Shit. Bloody scratch marks on the bridge's barnacled parapets and a handful of intriguing items deemed unrelated, unhelpful, or otherwise of uncertain relevance. Police attempted to throw a dummy corpse into the bay to see if they could track its movements with the tides, but to no avail. Certainly, this far out from the murder, Brooke's body would have been washed out of the bay and out into the opium ocean. Well, now he's, now he's fish food. November 27th, 22nd. November 22nd brought word that prosecutor H.H. McPack, United States Attorney of Northern California, had taken the case to a federal grand jury in San Francisco where Holmes and Thurman had been promptly indicted on three counts of using the mails to obtain ransom, three of using the mails to threaten bodily harm, and one of conspiracy with other persons unknown. As a response, Sheriff Emig signed his own document charging Holmes and Thurmond, quote, with a violation of Section 200 of the California Penal Code in that they did, subquote, willfully, unlawfully, and feloniously seize, abduct, conceal, kidnap, and carry away an individual to wit, 
Brooke Hart, a human being with intent to hold and detain said Brooke Hart, and thereby to commit extortion and to exact from the relatives and friends of said Brooke Hart money and other valuable things, end quote, end quote. When two U.S. Marshals arrived at the San Francisco City Prison that housed the two kidnappers, the jailer stoically informed them that he was under orders not to release the pair to anyone but Emig. When Emig did arrive to take the prisoners back to San Jose on the evening, in the evening, Jesus, <laughs> he did so in a convoy of four cars, all equipped with a machine gun, shotguns, and tear gas. <laughs> Yes. In preparation for the move, Emig also had requisitioned tear gas canisters, rifles, revolvers, shotguns, guns, and mountains of ammunition, as well as mounted as mounting a machine gun inside of the jail. Jesus. If that gives you a hint at what the general vibe of San Jose was <laughs> this particular moment in time. Damn, dude. Damn. See, you know what? People, I think PlayStations and Xboxes are good because it keeps the people subdued. Yes. They're like, I'm not going to go lynch today. Bread I and gotta, circuses, man. I gotta Bread play and circuses. I can lynch electronically. I gotta, yeah, I got to play Fortnite. I can't go fucking lynching some dude. Which you can't even do anymore. Lynch somebody? No, Fortnite. Why, what? It's done. Done. What? It's done, what? dude. I don't wait. Wait, hold on. Do you have tissues? I think he's starting to cry. I don't play Fortnite. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> that's, that's the funniest thing you've said tonight, man. That I, I think you're like... thinking of Michael. No, I know. I'm, no, I'm I was gonna say. You know, I literally, I, I, I literally, I, I played it once. I didn't like it. Uh, Emig's appeals to the governor dude, for you probably just lost half of our. Damn it! Nerdy ass fans. He loves Fortnite. All six of our listeners. No, no, really. It was so good. You could really, really. Fortnite and Liquid Death. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Monster Energy drinks. Gross. Fucking hate those things. I like Red Bull. Yeah. Stick. Be classic, basic. Red Bull. It's fine. Tastes like piss. You don't. Yes. Emig's appeals to the governor for National Guard assistance were roundly rejected. But it was now 16 days since Brooks' disappearance. The kidnapper murderers had been apprehended. The search for the body had been called off. Most people expected things would begin to settle down a bit. Newspapers began planning their new Sunday, Sunday headline stories, and many people put the whole ordeal of the past few weeks out of their heads as 86,000 people watched the big game where the Stanford fighting pine trees faced off against the Cal Aggie agriculturalists. <laughs> what Which a I, name. I assume that's what the, the Aggies, right? That's yeah. agriculturalists. The Aggies. They still are the Aggies. Yeah. Stanford beat Cal 7-3. to three. Hell yeah, we did. Unbeknownst to those fired wait, 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 up. What, what, is this, what is this we thing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I like how you're trying to own Stanford right now. <laughs> Hey man, I'm, I'm I'm all about I'm all for the cardinal tree. Yeah, the fighting pines. Fighting fight pine. fighting pines. You know, it's funny if you go up there. There's no fucking pine trees around. Not really. Yeah. yeah like, it's like not. It's like very kind of chaparral. It's like, yeah, it's more shrubby. Yeah. They must have chopped them all down. Stanford shrubs. To make a certain range. Yeah, yeah, the fighting the fighting shrubs. Yeah, that would be awesome. To be honest with you, I've had more issues with shrubs than I've ever had with trees. Shrubs like you get in them, they scratch you, and they're. Why are you in a shrub? <laughs> Shit happens. I don't know what to tell you, man. A few drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I hate those nights when you just wake up and yeah, you're, you're, you're fucking... in a shrub and you're just like, God or, damn it. Yeah, it's all of a sudden you're like, fuck, I'm in a shrub. <laughs> How'd I get here? Sometimes you're fucking ha- a shrub. It happens. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes you see a shrub. Sometimes the shrub's in you. Sometimes you see a shrub, it's hot, you fuck it. It's not a big deal. It's not. Stop We've making it a there. big deal, Andy. All right, I'm, anyways. I'm... I'm <laughs> I am keeping my mouth shut over here. Unbeknownst to those. That's not a shrub. That's a squirrel. I I don't know the difference. I so on a walk tangent. So so now now see let let's let's just this let's just delve deeper into the darkness of Anthony. Like I was walking knuckles this evening, and there are these two dudes, two Asian guys. Is that relevant? Yes. Okay. Because they were doing their like. They were doing their like little stretch exercises, oh. <laughs> little toe okay. touches and stuff. Okay, uh-huh. See, okay, so that, that's where it went. It's like they were doing there. And then as they sped walked past me, 
Okay, now I mean it's so this guy. This guy sped walk. Yeah, they speed walked. Is it sped walk or speed walk? They walked. They're fast. speed walk, but it's past tense. Or you could just say they oh, walked. Oh, that's a good question. They walked. S- sped walked. You could just say they speed walked. Speed walked. They w- speed walked. Yes. They, okay. You could say they walked at a brisk walk. pace past me. No, 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 no. Walking briskly and speed walking are very different things. Yes. I guess that's speed true. walking is an Olympic sport. Fuck off. No, it's true. God, what a waste. That's why, right? that's why I don't watch those fucking things. Fucking outrageous. Anyways, fucking so they speed walk past me, and then there's just a squirrel in like the middle of the path, and this older guy, the older of the two, goes out of his way to go like raise his hands up in the air and be like, ah, and like scare the squirrel away. And I was just like, what the fuck has a squirrel ever done to you that merits that level of reaction from a like 60 year old man haven't you ever seen an asian squirrel they're different no. over there. They're, yeah they are man there's fucking things they're, they're like they're like four feet long yeah man they go right for their fucking throat hmm. interesting squirrels are taste good too that's what i hear crispy squirrel bits mm. fallout well getting back on track where are we <laughs> Unbeknownst to those fired-up football fans cheering on their respective teams and the newsmen ready to relegate the heart story to the latter pages of their papers, Sunday morning would bring an unforeseen development in the Brookhart case and San Jose history. Bum, bum, bum. That brings us to Sunday, November 26th, approximately 8 a.m. Sheriff Emig was finally beginning to relax a bit. We just had a big turkey dinner. We just had some fucking Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Chief Black had sent, I don't know why you're having a Thanksgiving dinner on a Sunday morning, but no. sure. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> hey, hey, it was after, it was the weekend of, he was having, thank- he was yeah, having the, Thanksgiving. The leftover leftovers. sandwich. Hey, hey, Martha, give me the turkey sandwich with some cranberry on there, some mm. stuff. And, oh, my oh, God, I can't life wait. is so good. I can't wait. Man, 1920 is great. 1933. 1933 is great. <laughs> Chief Black. It was also the Depression, so like probably not. <laughs> oh my God, this this dog sandwich is great. <laughs> can I have an extra slice of shoe on my sandwich? Hey baby, can I have some, put some? Was is spam invented? Yet? But I don't know if spam was invented yet. I thought that was for World War II. <laughs> yeah, probably. I don't think it was, man. No, I think th- I think that's true. Wait, are you trying to uh, are you trying to equate spam with, with dog? like some undesirable oh. like? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is like spam. I if it was in the 30s, would they've had spam? So I was gonna make the joke. Oh, heat up me some spam for Thanksgiving. I don't think so. Anyway, moving on. Sunday, November 26, 8 a.m. This poor man had. So Emig, Emig was finally <laughs> relaxing. Everybody was kind of like, all right. We're cool. You know? Fuck yeah, that sucks. Brookhart's was... dead. But, you know, we got the guys. We were like, we can't. We're never going to find his body. Let's just fucking like, move on. So, and again. Let this, justice take its course. Again, this is where Sunday football would have been yes. nice. People would have been just at home watching the Niners. Chief Black had sent a dozen San Jose police officers to bolster Emig's now fortress-like jail, again, complete with mounted machine gun. This is crazy, though. I mean, <laughs> it's like, amazing. Can we, can we just, like, this is, like, insane to think. Like, okay, they got him. They're going to go to trial. Like, people were so, like, we need We've to We've got to mount a machine gun inside the jail. Well, they, they were, did, like, people were like that. We have to hang this guy. Like, they were, like, well, no, like they sweeping had... their fuck. Like, I fucking don't even know those people. I got to fucking hang that guy. Well, like, he, so he, at this point, he didn't know what was going to happen. Like, well, I mean, I guess I'm saying that we know it's going to yes. happen, but I'm just saying like it's it's like it is crazy how much this guy is just like so much injustice is perpetrated just in this area alone. Like of like like no one nowadays would ever like I never think ever like fuck those people. We got to hang them like we got to bust them I out mean, of jail and just Jeffrey Epstein. Them. But somebody got to him first. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess people Hillary would. Hillary Clinton. But I'm saying, would, would, okay, like, let's, but they, we'll talk about it after. It seemed as though the mob sentiment of late had dissipated. Still, a few people hanging around the building, <laughs> but nothing compared to how it had been recently. 
around 9.30 a.m., police Captain Garen came by to check on his boys, and feeling a twinge of guilt for depriving his men of their Sunday rest, requested two volunteers to remain, who would get then the night off. Officers Roy Blackmore and Andy Anderson, who were in the midst of a game of pinnacle, Pinnacle. Pinnacle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I wish you hadn't figured that out. That would have been P- awesome. I know. I know what it is. Pinnacle. Pinnacle. I, I have no I idea. Just, I always thought it was spelled like Pinnacle. Do you know how to play Pinnacle? Fuck no, man. That's the most confusing game ever. I did know how to play Pinnacle at some point. Dude, people in Michigan fucking love that game. It infuriates me. It's a card game, right? It is a card game. Yeah, I have no fucking... I have no idea how you play that game. So officers, Roy Blackmore... Andy Anderson. Andy. Andy Anderson. Andy Anderman Anderson. Who were in the midst of a game of Pinochle, raised their hands, and Garen instructed the rest to head home for some well-deserved sleep. Oh, man. Now Perfect storm. Zip, 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 zip. Rewind. Sunday, November 26th, 5.30 a.m. At the mouth of Alameda Creek, where the estuary empties uh, into the bay, three miles south of San Mateo Bridge, Leonard Dolph and Harold Stevens were departing in their small rowboat from the Western Gun Club to do a little duck hunting. Not all that. The fog had yet to burn off from the bay and hung over the water like an amazingly lightweight yet insulating goose down duvet. At 9 a.m. <laughs> what? <laughs> well done, sir. What? Is that you? Yeah. That, uh, what? A goose man. down duvet? Oh yes. It's it's I, it's hanging over Jesus. there. It insulates. But it's not too heavy. I, think, I guarantee you'd be fucking freezing. I think I may have just heard the Nobel Committee goose down today. At 9 a.m., after heading that north was, to where the ducks were gathering, that the was, men that was poetry. That were was now that a was mile poetry. and a half south goose of the San Mateo today. Bridge. Poetry. As they entered so some nice. shallows, they felt a gentle bump on the bottom of their boat. I, not again, I told you. We can't do it. We love each other. That's not me. Most likely a playful steel, a playful seal, Stevens guessed. <laughs> As they rode on, they saw something surface about 20 feet away. And you know what it was? It was the fucking body. It was the motherfucking body. Yeah, of Brooke, we got it. Motherfucking we got heart. It. Or at least what remained of it. Oh, it was probably yeah. fucking torn apart by animals. Well, think about it, man. The, 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 the blocks... Would have kept the body down. Oh, yeah, everything until would have, everything would have been fucking eating it. His lower limbs were detached. Yeah, detached, and then, would, and then well, I didn't get into that. Torso. Yeah, but that's it, what that's what it, happens. It's floating what torso. What they had gathered from, again, this is something I didn't mean, or we can get into it. Basically, uh, it had been apparent that Brooke Hart had struggled free from his bondage, and that's why they found fingernail marks oh, on the parapets oh, around man. the San Mateo bridge. Ew. So he had struggled free, attempted to like climb his way up, but ultimately succumbed to the waves. After carefully wrapping the corpse, now in an intense state of decay, in a tarp and tying a rope around it, they made their way back to shore with Brooke in tow, where Dolph watched over the body as Stevens ran for help. At the San Jose jailhouse, Sheriff Emig scanned the pages of the Mercury Herald, noting that Brooke Hart, that the Brooke Hart case was no longer the front page headline. That now belonged to coverage of Stanford's nail-biting win over Cal in yesterday's big game. Big game. And a little before 10 a.m., a call came in from Alameda County Sheriff Mike Driver. Bill? Yeah, Mike? We got a body. And that's what we'll pick up next time for the third and final installment in the kidnap and now murder of Brooke Hart. Goddamn. 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 Goddamn it. To hail. I cannot wait to tell you guys about the story that my barber told me relating (laughs) to this incident. That your barber's that old? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I feel blessed that I have two ears every time I leave that place. That yeah, you've told us about him. Oh yeah, Frank, right? Frank, yeah. Not to put him on blast. Good for him though that he's still going. He could. He could. Does he still have a hole in his face? It's healed. Cool. That's good. 
Feel better, Frank. That's good. No, he's looking good, man. Looking good. Cool. I'm happy to hear that. Well, <clears throat> is there any announcements? <laughs> uh, drink Liquid Death. And Liquid Death send us free shit. And Liquid Death send us free shit. Um, nope. Tune in next week Tune- for the thrilling conclusion. The and, thrilling uh, conclusion. Send us your comments, concerns, and ideas for episodes at vohdpodcast at gmail.com. That's V as in Valley, O as in of, H as in hearts, D as in delight, podcast at G as in Gmail, mail at gmail.com, dot com, as in D as in dot. Wait, I'm O as in I'm, I'm, O as in I'm odd. confused. Can you can you start over? No. Gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Has anyone actually emailed us?